Good morning, uh, Redeemer family and friends. Uh, my name is Israel Martinez, and I have the great privilege um, just to serve here as the lead pastor and to uh, enter into the book of Second John today. And I want to welcome you on this awesome Sunday. It is a blessing from the Lord to know, as Second uh, John says, that uh, we are walking in the truth and that our great God loves us and is here to protect us and lead us and call us to live lives that are actually full of gospel joy. That's where John will end Second John. And so God has called us to live these lives of loving him and one another and, 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 and by investing in other people's lives as we bring worship to our king with our lives. And so I'm excited because today... We will conclude our series in 2 John, and we're going to be in 2 John uh, verses 9 through 13. It's only one chapter. And so we've studied 1 John a while back, and I'm excited to, con- to cover 2 John as it is very specific and highlights and expounds on some of the big themes found in 1 John as they're written by the same author, the Apostle John. Um, and so again, we're going to be in 2 John 9 through 13. I encourage you to open your Bible, be hanging in there with us as we study this text. And so John was this beloved disciple of Jesus, this one who emphasized to love one another. There's a story that his disciples would take him up as he was old um, and to preach his final words. He would just say, love one another. They would hold his arms up and he would say, love one another, love one another. That's not in the Bible, but it's some... some uh, uh, older Christian writings that, that said that, some of the, John's disciples. And so the point is that John loved the church, and he loved uh, God, and he knew that he had to love one another. And that was the main teaching that you see in his writings that he's trying to get across. Love your brother. Love one another. And so uh, at first John, uh, John is teaching, similar to second and third John, is this idea of true belief and then false belief. And so true belief in, in the idea of, uh, he's talking about the love of God's commandments or his word, which lead to true love of people. He says that's what true belief is. And John was also teaching true gospel belief as, as he refutes false belief by refuting false thinking and false teaching. So John was refuting false teaching because the beginnings and seeds of some very bad doctrines or teachings were spreading through the church and those that influenced the church for several centuries after. And so um, the ESV Bible summarizes 2 John saying, 2 John warns against the same false teaching mentioned in 1 John. And the letter, um, this letter, 2 John, however, was addressed to this elect lady, her children, uh, meaning a local congregation, and focused on Christian hospitality. This is where we're going to kind of land a little bit today. So false teachers were using the kindness of Christians to gain influence within John's congregations. And, And John's letter spoke of this danger and warned against opening one's home to these, he calls them, destroyers of the faith. So all the basic themes of 1 John Holding fast to truth, love, and obedience are evident. Uh, There is the additional focus on what Christian hospitality is all about. So we learn um, this idea when when you find agreement on sound doctrine or truth, as John is telling us, you will find meaningful fellowship or gospel partnership. This is a a big theme that we learn from 2 John. But today, we will learn specifically that we must abide in the teaching of Christ. Um, we're going to respond singing this. This idea is how John starts his letter in 2 John. 
And said in a more complete way, we must abide in the teaching of Christ because it will allow us to discern against false teaching and deceivers as we live in Christian hospitality with this completed joy. That's a mouthful, but I hope it makes sense. It will actually summarize our verses, which summarize all of 2 John. And so again, today we're going to learn that we must abide in the teaching of Christ. And so let's read 2 John uh, 1, 9 through 13. So 2 John, uh, there's only one chapter, 9 through 13. And so John says, and listen to this interesting phrase how he starts it, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And so again today, we're going to learn that we must abide in the teaching of Christ. Or said in a more complete way, we will learn that we must abide in the teaching of Christ because it will allow us to discern against false teaching and deceivers as we live in Christian hospitality with completed joy. And so in verse 9, we're going to see our first point today, that we must abide in the teaching of Christ, truth, and love based on his commandment. And so verse 9 summarizes all that John has said in the letter to this point, with an additional note of the phrase, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide. So let's look at verse 9. Again, it says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So he says this weird phrase, everyone who goes on ahead. What is he saying? People who uh, jump um, to get past the gospel, to add something to the gospel, to forget about the gospel. It, it's a weird phrase. It's how he starts this little section. Everyone who goes on ahead. I've been in ministry long enough, and you hear people, and they're kind of like, yeah, you're preaching this thing or that thing. Like, I, I, I just need more meat. And, and oftentimes it's like, bruh, you're not abiding in Jesus. You can't handle the meat. <laughs> if you've ever seen uh, the, the old movie, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the meat because you're trying to, people are trying to go on ahead of Christ. And, and, and it's not possible. That doesn't mean we stay immature and drink milk all the time. But it's something interesting here that John says that the encouragement is to think, like, where am I in this space? Am I trying to go on ahead of the Christ? If the church is teaching something and, and, and am I trying to go past that when God may be telling me, you need to be right here, brother and sister. It's interesting phrase. Everyone who goes on ahead, we'll talk more about it, and does not abide. So it says there are people going ahead and they're not abiding in this teaching of Christ, this doctrine of Christ. That's what it's saying, this truth of Christ. John has just said, talked about truth and love. And now he, he, he summarizes it this way, the teaching of Christ. We could say the apostles' teaching. So he says, whoever abides in this teaching, um, whoever abides in the teaching, now he flips it. Now whoever really is abiding in what? In the teaching, in what Christ has told us in the gospel, has both the Father and the Son. So we'll break this down a little more. But we can see that our first point today is true, which says that we must abide in the teaching of Christ, truth and love, based on his commandments. So we're going to back up and read the first six verses. Second John's not very long, 13 verses. So we're going to read a whole book of the Bible today in church. 
Yay. So look at verse, the first six verses with me of 2 John to review with me. They say, the elder to the elect lady and, and her children. It just meant to this church and the people in the church, the partners, the covenant partners of the members. He says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides or lives or dwells in us and will be with us forever. He says, grace mercy and peace will be with us he says that again from god the father and from jesus christ the father's son in truth and love so that's his foundation he says i rejoice greatly like i was happy about it john says to find some of your children walking in the truth and a synonym for abiding walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the father god commands us to do this And he says, and now I ask you, dear lady, now I ask you, church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but as, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. He gives a definition of love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So the phrase walk in it, again, is another way of saying abiding in Christ's teaching. And so these verses teach us our first point that we must abide in the teaching of Christ's truth and love based on his commandments. We have to love God's word. And so to abide in the teaching of Christ means that we truly love God's commandments. We don't graduate from love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. We can't. That's what it means to go on ahead. The foundation needs to stay there, and then it builds. He said, we must know God is truth and love, and and that God defines truth, and that God defines love, not us, as we have talked about the last few weeks. And all this is based on his word, God's commandments, or the Bible. Again, we can forget. We can want to go on ahead and and try to learn something else or do something else. Or it could even be like, man, okay, I got the gospel. Now I'm going to go work on me and and work out and be strong and learn about business, learn about this thing or that thing. And God said, if you would just abide in my teaching, I I could give you some of those things too. But we want to go on ahead to uh, to other things. And so how we abide is, is how we follow this historic of apostolic doctrine or teaching. And so we must love and know God's word. Remember Acts 2, 42. It says of the early church, they devoted themselves, meaning they, man, they were all in. They loved this. What? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm listening to a lot of Christian history uh, stuff just to kind of re-remember stuff I've, I've learned before. And it's just really interesting to see like how the early church didn't necessarily, they didn't have the Bible completed the way we did. They didn't have a book they could just grab. They had scrolls and they would go to the, to the synagogues or to the gatherings and hear the preacher just read God's word and kind of talk about it similar to what we're doing now. And they would go with anticipation of learning and they were excited. And I just think, man, it's just we have so much today that it's easy to go on ahead, right? It's easy to be like, um, yeah, I, I, I can study the Bible, but I got this other thing I got to worry about. Like I got work or this thing or that thing or, yeah, uh, m- my family needs to plan this vacation, so I'm going to really focus on that. And then I'll, I don't have time to read my Bible today. I don't have time to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that's what the early church did. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not my teaching. The apostles' teaching is a synonym for Jesus' teaching. It's not the pastor's or even our church's teaching. It's this historic apostles' teaching. 
The author of Hebrews, well, it says in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to partnership, to being, to loving one another, to having this koinonia, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And so I'm, I'm going to say it again this week towards the end, like our four rhythms are to help us do that and be devoted to that. Nothing more, nothing less. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another, it's just one another, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So meeting together, and I think this is one of the hardest things, and COVID really blew it up, especially for us as a, as a church plant. It's hard for people to get up and just come to church and meet together. Maybe that's not popular saying it, but I don't care. It's what the Bible says. It's literally just not neglecting to meet together. It's that simple. Like sometimes the, the remedy or the answer to something in life are little disciplines. It's are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Not just coming to church on Sunday, but man, are you coming and you're devoted to know about more about God's word and learn and like, all right, we're in 2 John or we're learning this or, and, and, and I'm going to be in 2 John. I'm going to be studying 2 John. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be, have, is my heart ready? It's not just a random um, TED talk. That's not what we're doing here. We're coming to learn the word of God. And I'm, I'm trying my best to give as, as a little church plan. I know many pastors are giving their souls and their time and their energy to prepare so that we can truly understand the word of God more. This apostle's teaching. Hebrews 10, 24 says again, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And that's not to, to uh, crush people and to, and to make people feel condemned, but some people get in that habit. But the point is let's stir each other up. Let's encourage each other. It says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The truth is that Christ is coming back. I turned 40 this year. That felt like a lot. It's like, man, I've got another 40 left, and that's it. And most of us, I mean, life is like a breath. Don't waste it. And this is where we as a church plant are to start. And so we don't, don't ever get overdoing these things as a local church. Many people's lives would change if they just committed to the things in Acts 2.42, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, real fellowship, really breaking of the bread, eating meals together, and taking communion serious, and just praying. Those simple things are the disciplines that will change a life if done abiding in the teaching. And so we should love to gather together and to be together. We don't advance or go beyond these things. Remember verse 9 of today, it starts with that phrase, everyone who goes on ahead. Listen to verse 9 again. It says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Sometimes things in life are just that simple. Are we abiding in the teaching of Christ? Like, do you love God's word? Do you crave God's word? And are you letting that guide you and change your decisions and, and, and really impact you through the power of the Spirit? Is it what you think about? Is it what we are obsessed about? Because not just because it's a book, it's God's word. It's God's, the, 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 John says this. He said, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. In a sense, that the word is Jesus. It represents God. It's like our words, my words. It's not just breath. It's actually me saying it, the same as God. When God speaks, we see Jesus. And so going on ahead of Christ or adding or trying to find another meaning or that other true gospel, there is not one. 
That's what it means to go on ahead. This is adding, subtracting, multiplying, or dividing, or morphing the gospel of Christ's teaching into something else. Listen to four ways from Danny Aiken as he says four ways that people morph Christ's teaching. He calls it the mathematics of cults. Cult sounds weird and creepy in English. It's just actually in Spanish we say culto. Sounds the same. It just means how we worship. Like if you're going to a culto, you're going to a worship service. So that's what the root of this word cult means because it's other forms of worship. And so we use the word in English cult, meaning not, not aligning with Christ or the gospel. So he says he speaks of addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication as ways that people go on ahead in Christ's teaching of the gospel. So in addition, they add an extra biblical source of authority by prophet, pen, or professor. That's how people add to the gospel. They subtract from the gospel when they subtract from the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They deny his deity and find inadequate his work of redemption. Now, in division, when people divide the gospel, they divide our allegiance, meaning the church, from God through Christ alone to others. They come to divide. Now, people multiply. They multiply requirements of salvation. They all advocate for some form of work salvation. And there's probably more we can add, but I thought it was a good summary to help us start to discern, like, what happens, what we can do. We can make our little own cults or little own forms of worship, and many people in the church do this. They're actually not worshiping Jesus that came in the flesh. They're worshiping a different brand of Jesus, the Jesus that they've made up. And so these are signs of being a false believer or an antichrist, as John has said, as mentioned. He's the only one who uses that phrase. It means you are not abiding in Christ's teaching, but in other teachings. So many people come to church looking to abide, actually not in the teachings of the apostles, but in other teachings, your own teachings. Or the Bible says that the, the, the ears want to be tickled, like 2 Timothy. They often don't want to abide in Christ's true teaching. They want their own teaching or the world's teaching or some other famous teacher's teaching. And they forgot the, the famous one, Jesus Again, 2 Timothy says that they want their ears tickled. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you want something creepy. You just want to hear what you want to hear. People often come to the American church really only looking for self-help or a better life or for friends or so that their business can grow or for this thing or that thing or for an opportunity. And those things are fine and they're not necessarily wrong. But if that is your main purpose to come to gather those things can become idols, and that is dangerous. And they're not why we are called to be part of a church or called to be um, the church by Christ. It's not for those things. We are to abide in Christ's teaching as the church. And so as disciples who are part of a church, committing to a local church and gathering may not be easy. My wife and kiddos are sick this morning. God bless her. Candace has been faithful for like almost two years straight, I think. Um, and I'm going to talk about that today. It's not to guilt anyone. It's to encourage us to actually love doing this on Sunday. Committing to a local church may be hard at, at times. But that, and it may be hard hearing the apostles teaching sometimes. But that might be exactly what God wants for you. And it may bring about new challenges for your faith and growth in Christ. But that might be exactly where God wants you. But oftentimes when we are confronted with something, especially in our culture in America today, like a challenge or a difficult situation, um, in our culture, people bow out. 
Sometimes you may have an issue with family, with work, with life, or with someone in the church even. And instead of fighting for that person or for good or for unity or abiding in the teaching of Christ, we don't endure like Jesus did. And we quit and we go look for the next easy thing or the next shiny object instead of choosing to abide in Christ's teaching. Which tells us to not run from suffering, to actually endure suffering and rejoice in suffering. And that, yes, we may need to lament at times. Of course, we, that's part of it. But the end goal of lamenting is to abide in Christ. And to rejoice in the life that Christ has given us as beloved children. Maybe we have 50 years left, 60 years left, 40 years left, 30. Christ brings many of us to breaking points at times in the church if we just hang in there. And it stinks. But sometimes these breaking points are for us to not quit. And to try out something else um, and that's what we do sometimes is we, we are brought to breaking points and, and, and we're not to quit or try out other things instead of the church and his people. But to remember, like, this is the vehicle that God's given us to flourish and to grow. He can actually use these breaking points so that we actually mature and grow. But I've seen it in many people's lives. They get to a place where they're in some tension in their life and they're like, oh, I'm bound out. It's the church's fault. I'm out. And it's like, bro, just like five more months. I mean, five more months, five more weeks, just, just hang in there a little longer. And instead of going and starting over at another church and, 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 and wrestling and going through the same thing over and over and over, God's like, just commit to a people. You have to commit to a people for a while, and then those things start to change. And those relationships get stronger, and, and you start to, you're actually abiding in the teaching of Christ, not just mentally, but actually with your actions, by living life with a people. Maybe he wants to bring you through a difficult time to grow. And so listen and open up with me to Hebrews 12, 4, 12. If everybody has a Bible, I just encourage you. Hebrews 12, 4. And then we'll, we'll read a few verses there. And so, again, maybe God will bring you through a difficult time for you to grow in the church. That doesn't mean it's time to go looking for another church. It means he may just want you to grow. And, and sometimes God does call us to go to other churches, but not, not usually for situations like this. Listen to Hebrews 12 and learn. We're going to learn about what real discipleship or abiding with Jesus is like. It's not easy. So this is a father disciplining the son. Listen to the words. And, and some of this is even taken from Proverbs eleven twelve. Hebrews 12, 4. And this is not easy to hear. But, man, it should be comforting. I hope it comforts you to know, hey, some of you are struggling. Some of you are, are feeling this anxiety and stuff. And it's, God's like, hey, let, just listen to these words. Hopefully they encourage you. Hebrews 12, 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You're still kicking. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. You've forgotten this, this exhortation that's addressed you as God's sons. Listen, this is from Hebrews, I mean, Proverbs 11. 12, it says, my son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God disciplines us because he loves us. Again, going through that hard time is probably because he actually loves you. And look at this, and chastises, 
That means corrects or disciplines, another word, every son whom he receives. That's not an easy thing to preach for me to even say on Sunday. It's like, oh, man, there'll be no people here next week. <laughs> but that this is an encouragement. Listen, it is for discipline that, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Bible uses a lot of military language. I was in the military, and I kind of hated it when I was in. <laughs> My dad was in the military, and I realized, like, man, there's a reason, like, most guys, not all, but a lot of people in the military are disciplined, and they get things done. They know how to wake up, dress their bed, work out, run, run, run a business, run a family, and not everybody. But there's some good things, and the Bible talks about being a good soldier of Christ. Someone who will wake up, go to work, show up, serve, say yes, sir, when they have to, and not always, you know. And, and, it's, and you might even be a better leader than the guy leading you, but sometimes you just have to say yes, sir. <laughs> That's just part of it. And there's this training that happens. Family, this is abiding in the teaching of Christ. This, this, this is a deeper version of seeing this discipline of the Lord, and it's living in him and him living in you. Lives of disciples of Christ will, are never perfect. But as John tells us in his first letter, that they are to be perfected in Christ. This is this holiness that the author of Hebrews talks about. We, church, are to be perfected in Christ. So in this process of growth, friends and family, disciples need discipline. Disciples should be disciplined in Jesus. We should be the most disciplined people and not tossed to and fro like James says. It doesn't mean that we're legalist. No, but we're disciplined. Discipline, I think, has a, like, it's like this rigid, like, no, like, we have five kids. Like, I feel like our discipline, <laughs> it sometimes it seems like, man, it, it may not feel like discipline, but it's the same thing. It's we get up every morning as a family and we read a psalm. If we're late to school, we're late to school. We're going to read the psalm. And we're going to go to bed at 7, 7.30ish, and we're going to read a Bible study. And we're going to talk about those things at home. And we have fun, and we play, and we do stuff. It's like a fun shit, but there's also order and discipline. Discipline is just things that you do often. Most, um, there, there's a, um, a quote from a guy, uh, Craig Rochelle, um, and I'm not the biggest fan of everything he says, but um, I do like this quote that what, what uh, disciplined people or people that are successful, they do what normal people do all the time. So normal people do these things. Sometimes a disciplined person or a successful person does those things all the time. And I think the same thing in Christ. If you want to really be abiding in Christ, man, we got to be in the word. We have to be abiding. We have to be coming to church regularly and, and not just coming and checking out, but like being, paying attention, being disciplined, doing those things for 10 years. That's when you'll see a life change. This is the vehicle that God's given us is his local church, not anything else. We can't go on ahead and say, oh, I don't want church. I want this thing or that thing or this book or that idea. That's when we will... Get lost. 
So John is telling us to warn ourselves. The church is here to live life with you, and Jesus is here to abide in you, and he has given you the Holy Spirit to live or to abide in him. Again, disciples of Jesus are mature in their discipline, which is based foundationally on the teaching of Christ or the apostles' teaching. And from abiding in Christ's teachings, we know the gospel more and more and want to understand it and live it out and share it more and more as we grow in Christ's teaching. And so are we growing in his teaching? Being consistent and coming to the Sunday gathering again has been the historic foundation for the church. And it has been the time where all in the church um, and guests come to learn and receive the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing on Sunday. It's that important, which is synonymous with the teaching of Christ. I remember as a younger believer, I'm like, oh, yeah, like church Sunday. It's not about Sunday. And I was a, you know, a Christian since I was a kid, so you kind of get on this little holy roller. It's not about church on Sunday. It's about just serving God and loving God. And it's like it, it actually is about church. on. It's not all about church on Sunday, but that's where we find the teaching. There was something I was saying as a young man that was obviously not said in wisdom. <laughs> it was said in just trying to be rebellious, right? Like they didn't have buildings and stuff in the early church, and it's like, Okay, but we saw what they did. They gathered on the Lord's Day historically on Sunday. That was the day of the resurrection, and they did it for years. And they say, don't neglect this thing. This is the foundation of it all. It's the foundation of this teaching where you get the teaching to then abide. And it can happen. We know it happens in other places, right? In the fellowship, we have in other places. And then we have says the breaking of the bread, so eating together and, and taking the Lord's Supper and then prayer but those things, it, it, that, that foundation of the apostles' teaching happened on Sunday historically. And so I think our church culture has really diminished the importance of the, the consistency of the gathering on Sunday. And, and again, today you can get teaching in a lot of places these days. But the apostles' teaching historically happened on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Sunday, again, is that foundation for your week to help and lead you in abiding. That's the point. It is to be done in community, to come worship God so then you worship him the rest of your week and day. And so it's to encourage you, to challenge you, to abide in Christ's teaching for the rest of your week and life. And coming on Sunday morning, again, is that historic discipline that the church learned how to do. That's how they learned how to abide in Christ's teaching. It was of the utmost importance to the early church, and I believe it is of the utmost importance for us today. Again, I understand we get sick, and, and, and there's kids and life situations happy. My family is literally sick today. And so things happen. We're a people of grace and patience, and we should hold that with other people, but we should encourage them. Like, there is something beautiful that happens on the Lord's Day. And so I encourage you to make the gathering on the Lord's Day Sunday one of the most important appointments of your week. Mark it on your calendar, and you don't have to come to church here, but go to church somewhere consistently. It's foundational for us to fight and abide in Jesus, to be gathering weekly with a body of believers we know that we actually know and who actually know us. And it's foundational for us to fight again and abide in Jesus, to be gathering weekly with a body of believers that we actually know and who actually know us. So that we can fight together and for each other to combat our own sin and the world and Satan and his demons. And so that's how our joy may be complete, as we're going to look at later on in our text. Again, to abide in Christ's teaching means that we truly love God's commandments. We must know God is the, tr is the truth and love. And this is based all on his word. And it's how we abide, how we follow the historic apostolic doctrine or teaching. 
It's how we're able to do our second point today, which is that we must abide in the teaching of Christ because it will allow us to discern against false teachings and deceivers. And so we're not going to go into this as much as we did last time, um, but I'm just going to read verses 7, um, 8, and 9 for context and just remember what John was talking about. Again, that we must abide in the teaching of Christ, our second point, because it will allow us to discern against false teachings and deceivers. And sometimes that person um, can even be yourself, but here John's talking about other people who come in the church. So just listen to verses 7, 8, and 9. John says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. And then our verse that we started today, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So here we clearly see our second point of today, that we must abide in the teaching of Christ because it will allow us to discern against false teaching and, false de- and, and, and deceivers. And so it is clearly biblical that Christians cannot lose their salvation. John says this in in his gospel that we can't be snatched from God. If you're really God's, you're God's. And Christians are not to be condemned. But we learned last week and in the verses we just looked at that we are not condemned um, and Christians should not live condemned lives because in Christ we will be eternally saved. But, and I say again, but, we learned from our text last week, and if you want to go to Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3, Christians will be judged for how they serve God with the precious gift of salvation that we have been given to build his church. Christians will be judged for that. doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Go look at 1 Corinthians 3, and you can refer to the sermon last week. But God has given us this gift, and we will be judged. So how will you be judged, friends and family? And so as the text says in verse 8, as we learned last week, we must watch ourselves. The point is that there will be many deceivers and false Christs. If we're not abiding in the teaching, we won't know what to do or or, or we we won't know what is deceptive. And we'll be judged on how we serve the church in building the kingdom of God. We are to discern and watch ourselves and know through abiding or walking in truth and love how to discern what is of God and not of God. If you want to learn more of that, read 1 John 4. He talks about discerning the spirits, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And so, we are not God, and people will and can deceive us for a season, or maybe even longer. That's why they are called deceivers, because they are deceptive, and they can actually trick even the most devout believers. Jesus even had Judas, this all-time number one traitor, who Jesus actually entrusted with responsibilities. Jesus knew. And, and the point is, isn't to go on a, a witch hunt. That's not what this is saying. The point is, in time, a false teacher or deceiver's true colors will show. Sometimes we don't know, and so we are to be steeped in God's word to discern and combat evil that comes into the church. Remember, Christians are not condemned, but we will be judged by God for the lives we live here on earth with the gospel truth, love, and salvation he has given to us. And so if we understand our first two points, the first being that we must abide in the teaching of Christ, truth, and love based on his commandments. And secondly, that we must abide in the teaching of Christ because it will allow us to discern against false teaching and deceivers. We will be abiding in the teaching of Christ and know the gospel. So we have to know this gospel and love this gospel story. To abide in Christ's teaching is to know the gospel story. The gospel of creation where he created and made everything good and made us in the image of God. And then he was not caught by surprise when he allowed sin and death to enter the world because of Adam and Eve. 
God was in control. And sin and, and death came, and there was this chasm between us and God. And man that would realize because of God illuminating the mind that we need God, that we are not God. Many people think they're God, but those of us who become saved or come to know Christ realize I'm not God and I need this Redeemer Jesus who lived this perfect life, who lived 30-something years of perfection, born from a virgin and lived the, this perfect life to then take on all of our sin and take on the wrath or the anger of God at the cross and, and, and he was put to death. And, and, and in the earth, three days, and three days he rose again, and he promised to come back just like he ascended. The Bible says he's coming back one day. It's usually called um, the day of the Lord. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's day. We remember that Christ is coming back and that he's called us in our time here to abide in his teaching, to know the gospel. Because one day, guys, there will be no more pain and no more suffering. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. You'll actually have the same bodies you have. And it's not about being famous or having a great life or a great career, although some of those things can be wonderful. It's about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This, this abiding in the teaching of Christ. And he says, all these things will be added unto you. So knowing this gospel story, if we know the gospel story, then we can understand our final point today. And we're going to look at verses 10 and 13 in one big chunk. So we must abide in the teaching of Christ. This is our third point. We must abide in the teaching of Christ as we live in Christian hospitality with completed joy. Okay, so let's look at these verses, in verses 10 through 13, and they say, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Seems pretty harsh. <laughs> For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Pretty straightforward. Though I have much to write, I would rather not use paper and ink. I instead hope to come to you and talk face-to-face, -face, literally in the Greek, kind of weirder, mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. <laughs> um, that's what it says. So that our joy may be complete, so that we will have true joy and it may be fulfilled or complete. I'll talk more about that in a second. And, and, and John says, the children of your elect sister meet you. This church greets you. Churches. So historically in this time of the Greco-Roman history and in Jewish culture and the common Mediterranean culture uh, that we even see today, hospitality was and is very important and expected of people in that culture. Jesus even said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. If you ever heard that song, he's saying, I'm actually inviting myself to your house. That's what they used to do. That's what a real friend would do. He's like, hey, I'm going to your house. Okay. Um, that's weird for us. We're like, you are? No, you're not. Like, but in, in the old days, that's, in Jesus' culture, that's what they did. So it was disrespectful to not invite someone into your home. So you can sense that John is relieving the church of this burden of having to be unnecessarily hospitable. That's what John is saying here. So he was saying you don't have to force hospitality with evil people to prove you love them. I, I, I think sometimes try to do this like, man, I'm, I want to just love people. And like, I want to force hospitality. And God's like, man, you don't have to. That's not what I'm telling you to do. So in this context and in, and other, in other scripture, we see that disassociation with false teachers is what's best in, in, in most situations, specifically this. With those, when, especially when they're claiming Christ. It's not saying that you can't always um, be with someone or invite someone in. That's not what John's saying. He's not saying that don't ever talk to a non-Christian. He's not saying that. He's saying specifically these people who are intentionally teaching false doctrine and teaching. Because we are not to associate with them and certainly not required to bring them into our homes. And maybe that does nothing to you. It actually 
kind of like me as a pastor, I'm like, man, I just want people to know Jesus, and I invite everybody to my house, and I'm like super hospitable, but people that are 100% blatant against the gospel, like, you don't have that burden. Like, you're not, we're not Jesus. I think many missionary people, many pastors, and, some, and, and, and other Christians that are really hospitable and have the gift of hospitality can feel this burden. That may be you, but again, this is coming, John speaking to a culture that was really hospitable. You may need to do the, the opposite. You may not bring anybody into your home. That's, now, don't use this as an excuse. But, okay, false teacher, false No, that's not what it's saying. We're supposed to love one another and bring people into our homes. This is saying if people are coming with this kind of false teaching, really bad false teaching. It's very clear and you know. So, again, um, um, John is saying, um, he's saying this idea that with those who claim Christ but are living in sin, this kind of teaching false doctrine, we're not to associate with them and certainly not to bring them into our home because that would rob us of our joy. That's where he's going to land. And the joy of the church by carrying a burden that we're not supposed to carry. Jesus carried all the burden that, that we, we, we do, in a sense, uh, mimic Jesus, but we, we don't have to carry this burden. Because this would be actually bring disunity and suspicion as it would seem that we would be supporting this false teaching. That's the point. So false love and harmony or false unity will not save anybody. It actually robs them and robs the church of its joy. So again, our last point teaches that we must abide in the teaching of Christ as we live in Christian hospitality with completed joy. And so we must have a true Christian hospitality. And there is a type of hospitality that is not Christian. So you see, we must heed John's warning to not practice worldly or cowardly hospitality that encourages evil. True Christian hospitality does not encourage or promote evil. But we must, again, still preach the gospel. It's not an out. John is not saying to not invite non-believers to your home. um, Inviting strangers into your home is the biblical definition of hospitality. It's actually inviting strangers. True hospitality is inviting strangers and other people regularly as well. But it has the idea of strangers into your home. So we must trust the Holy Spirit how to do hospitality. And we cannot build up or encourage false teaching in our churches nor in our home. That's what John is saying. Because, again, if we do, if we do hospitality wrong because we're not abiding in Christ's teaching, then we will not have this completed joy that John mentions. And so we are to abide with this completed joy. And this is where we're going to land. We're going to look at 1 John because 1 John 3 through 4. So if you just turn your Bible over and look at 1 John 3 through 4, John kind of expounds on this completed joy that he's already talked about. So... He says that we can actually have this completed joy. 1 John uh, 1, 3 through 4 says, listen to this. That which we have seen and we, have, and we uh, proclaim also to you. He's saying that what we saw, the early church, the apostles, he's talking about the gospel. He says, so that you may have fellowship or koinonia or partnership with us. Sounds like what he's saying. And indeed, our fellowship, so he's saying you can have fellowship with us, and indeed, Our fellowship as the church is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So when we have fellowship, when we gather and do the apostles' teaching, although it may not feel like it sometimes, we're actually having fellowship with the Father is what it's saying. And the verse 4 says, and we are writing these things. He's talking about the gospel, this idea of how to abide in the teachings of Christ is how he says it in this letter. So that our joy may be complete. It's the same goal. So are we joyful? Like, are we abiding in Christ's teaching? And it actually makes us joyful, and we're practicing proper Christian hospitality. This completed joy comes from the Greek word, which means completion or to an end or an aim or a goal with a purpose. 
This word, it's this word that alludes to a journey of faithfulness and endurance and persevering in the best of times and the worst of times. So do you have this completed joy? Again, partnership or koinonia or community, it doesn't just happen. It is built. It takes time. It takes years. It takes building. Again, true Christian community takes time and is hard work but can be the most joyful thing as well. So as God's church, we can have this fellowship with God that completes our joy when we have it with one another. And Christ has invited us to do this together here at Redeemer Church. It is how we fight the false teaching and abide in the teaching of Christ. Joy comes through abiding in God's teaching. It's that love of God's commandments. And God has called us to commit to the church, which is his plan A. There's no other plan for the world and and our own journey of sanctification. Remember Acts 2.42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And so... This is my encouragement. My pa- hopefully my pastoral word does not hurt you, but it, it encourages you. Are you consistent in this, friends and family? Not perfect, but being perfected, as John says. Are you consistent in abiding in Christ, that you are committed to doing the things taught in Christ, uh, Christ's teaching, meaning that, that this gospel word? We've been saying the last few weeks, trouble is a coming. Right? So are you abiding? Where is your joy when the trouble comes? Good times may be coming. And are you abiding? Why do you have joy in the good times? Is it because of Christ? Is it the good times or is it God? Will you abide either way? Will you be content like Paul says? God is calling us as a church to do this together, to abide together in the teaching of Christ for this completed joy in our life and for our church. So let's commit to each other and to Christ's teachings. And I encourage you, our four rhythms are modeling those things, that the, the, the things in Acts 2.42. Apostles' teaching, um, uh, koinonia, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We got to be serious about all those things. And so our rhythms are Sunday gathering. Every Sunday, come. I would encourage you to commit to a disciple group every two weeks. Just every two weeks. Not every week. Every other week. And, and get some of that koinonia and eat together. And let's look at God's word. And then we have a gospel party tomorrow. It's going to be in our neighborhood. Come to that. Mix it up. Get to know each other. Get to know some of our neighbors here in Irving. We do those every other month. And then we have prayer in the city. Again, every other month. Our next one is December 2nd. Mark your calendar. We're going to be praying with other churches in Irving. And if there's one thing that we, in all the things that we uh, try to do, I mean, I think prayer is like the one way we really model abiding in the teaching of Christ. We see that in Acts 2.42. So come pray with us, December 2nd. Mark your calendar, 6 p.m. It's only going to be an hour and a half. Come pray. The prayer part takes like 15 minutes. We'll walk around. You can go eat and hang out. It's building community and prayer. And so let's imitate those believers who came before us and who abided in the teaching of Christ. And remember, we must abide in the teaching of Christ because it will actually allow us to discern against false teaching and deceivers as we live in Christian hospitality with completed joy in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We need you, Lord. Um, Lord, your word is convicting and difficult at, at times for us as humans to understand and even follow through. But we know you ultimately did. You are perfect, Lord, in going to the cross and living a perfect life. So, Lord, we don't have to, 
but we trust you and we ask you through the power of your spirit to teach us to abide in your teaching. And so, Lord, as we come now just to sing and to worship, Lord, in spirit and truth, hear our words and hear our cry out to you, Lord. We love you. We need you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.